Welcome to the Weekly Deep Dive Podcast on the Add-On Education Network, the podcast where we take a look at the weekly Come Follow Me discussion and try to add a little insight and unique perspective. I am your host, Jason Lloyd, here in the studio with my friend and this show's producer, Nate Pfeiffer. What's up? Nate, Nate gave, yeah, buddy. He, he gave a sermon today. Okay. In church. I'm going to edit this out. No, no, no editing. There's no edit, edit button needed. It, it was phenomenal. You're very kind. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think I think in the podcast here, pe- people kind of, you know, Nate, Nate plays the Joker from time to time to keep it light, and, and I try to play the scholar. But if people really knew, if they heard Nate's talk today, they would know. Nate's a lot more profound, and I'm kind of the... Uh, Stop it. I'm the Yahoo of the out. bunch. You're not the Yahoo. You're not the Yahoo. Stop it. We both we both have fun. It's a great we show. Both, we both try to think through things. Luckily for me, I had you know four weeks to prepare for a 15 minute talk, where we expect you to have an hour's worth of information prepared every week. So <laughs> you do you do a great job too, buddy. Hey, well, thanks. I appreciate being the, uh, being here with you, Nate, and doing this with you. And uh, I appreciate all you guys that are participating listening at home i mean that's what that's meant wakes that's what makes it work for us totally thanks for listening i'm excited for uh today i'm also excited to be wrapping up the psalms if i'm being totally honest with you yeah me as well okay okay because i i want to i feel like we i feel like the past couple weeks it's like we kind of have to go through it because it is what it is but i'm excited to get more i'm excited to get more into some of the stories and stuff again and and so hopefully for those of you that have been listening, we appreciate you sticking with us. We, we, we understand that some of the stuff isn't, isn't the same uh, meat and potatoes that we, we prefer to talk about, but we, are ho- we, we hope that you're still getting something out of these, um, these chapters and these books that are not as fun, you know, not as fun as like Lot. I mean, they're, they're beautiful. Job. They're absolutely beautiful. Yeah, Psalms. Cool motivating moving in fact psalms is the book that jesus quoted from most in the new testament it's psalms is referenced a lot and and you've got it written by a lot of different people there's some very prophetic psalms some very messianic psalms and some very real songs psalms that that kind of we relate to and help us kind of praise God and, and feel that thanksgiving. That's, that's one of my big takeaways, I think, from Psalms. Is why, when I read some of these, it makes me have to stop and just bend down on my knees and pray to God a thanks. You know, when you start reading these Psalms of thanksgiving, you're like, you know, really, I do have it good. And, and how the Psalms make you feel. And maybe that's why Psalms played such a prominent role in worship in the old world, associated with the temple, associated with what they did. And why we have hymn books in today's world is it just moves you and it inspires you. So there's there's something to be said about that. But truth be told, as you said, Nate, in two weeks we start in on Isaiah, and oh, baby. we're we're gonna have quite the adventure with Isaiah. I be, I believe. I can't wait for Isaiah. If I'm being totally honest with you, yeah, I love be, that stuff. It'll be a fun roll. Okay, let's do it. So this is Psalms 100 through 151. Psych. What? Yeah. So there's only 150 psalms, though. How could we talk about the 151st? We're we we we're gonna bring up Psalm number 151. And if you are looking in your Old Testament King James Bible, you go to 150 and you say, "This is it. This is the end." I don't know what's wrong with you. That's that's that. What's what's going on? So to tell you what's going on in the Septuagint, the Greek version of the Bible, they have Psalms 151, an extra psalm at the end. And the Hebrew Bible, 
in the the Aleppo Codex and the Leningrad Codex, they didn't have Psalm 151. So they thought that the Greek translators were adding an extra psalm in there for kicks and giggles. So they didn't believe it was canonical. When we discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, they found Psalms 151. Right on. And not only did they find 151, they actually had 151A and 151B. And, and it was even more rich than the Septuagint had it. So you could see where the Septuagint got the 151 from. So we're going to read to you today, if you don't know about this, the Psalm 151 that didn't make it into your Bible, that was part of the Bible in the ancient world, in the ancient Hebrew. And, and we'll talk a little bit about some Psalms that did disappear. We'll try to give you some verses that, that maybe vanished from your Bible that you can kind of put in there and, and fill in the blanks. So I'm looking forward to today. Let's, uh, let's dive in. Let's do it. All right. Where to start? Probably Psalm 100. <laughs> well, considering that's where we're starting, yeah, that that's, uh, seems like a good place to start. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come with presence with singing. Love it. Know ye the Lord that he is God. So these are, these are all very praising Psalms. We're not going to read all of these Psalms. And, and I say let's start with Psalms 100, but I'm actually going to turn the page. <laughs> but do we appreciate the songs, the songs that are being sung? I do. Yeah. My kids asked, my kids, uh, when we were watching Fiddler on the Roof, we talked about this again. I think we talked about this last week, but yeah, my kids wanted to watch it again this week. And we watched it again. They, they were asking why um, they were singing when they were uh, having the Passover dinner. I said, oh, they're praying. They're like, no, they're singing. I said, they're praying. They're like, it's the same thing, guys. It's the I'm same like, thing. why do you think we sing and pray when we're at church? It's like, oh, okay, that made sense. And I'm like, there we go. It, and you know, if you've had that moment when you're singing in church that you're really feeling it, and maybe not even necessarily in church, but just singing in general, like you get moved. There's an emotion that comes with it, man. I there, mean, there me, is. I, I, I try to explain this to people all the time and it, it sounds weird. I think to some in our religion, but when conference like general conference is happening, I get so much more out of the music of like the live part of conference than I do any of the talks but going back then and rereading the talks where I can kind of do it at my own pace and not kind of even have a lot of the the I don't not the visual but just like a person talking you know it's easier for me to kind of go through the text and really connect with the talks via reading them but obviously the music during conferences this is where I have my most spiritual moments I don't know. Is that weird to you? No, no, not not weird at all. In fact, can I can I tell two quick personal please, stories please. from uh, from the mission? Yes, please. So down in Mexico, uh, down in Sinaloa, in Culiacan, the, they would get these monsoonal rains, right? And you had the rainy season and the dry season, and the dry season uh, coming up. From Utah, it can rain any day of the year, right? Yeah. June, July, whatever. You, you see a little cloud start to form, you're like, yes, maybe we'll get rain. And, and down there in Mexico, I would see a cloud start to form, and it's really hot. And, and I would tell my companion, like, hey, wait, maybe we'll get some rain today. 
and and they're like, no, you idiot. It's the uh, it's the dry season. You don't get rain. And I'm like, oh no, we'll see. And, and inevitably, I was always wrong because it it was the dry season. But when that wet season came, it would rain. It would rain really hard, and we got caught in a storm, and and it was pretty late at night, and it was getting close to the time that we had to get back to to our homes. And we're trying to figure out what do we need to do? Do we need to walk home through the storm or do we need to wait it out? So we we waited for a while and, and the storm wasn't abating. It was just getting worse. And, and so we ended up walking over to the bishop's house, which was close to where we were. And then the district leader and then also the zone leader who was on splits with the district leader was there at the house. So we were waiting it out with them, with the bishop and the other the, the zone leader, the district leader. This was my very first area as a missionary. And it, the storm was not letting up. And, and it got to 10.30 at night and it was still raging. And, and now we had to get home and we decided to, to, to make the decision to go brave it, to walk through the streets. Okay. And lightning hit within, within 100 yards of us. I, I, I don't know exactly where it hit. It was all just blinding white light and, and thunder was the exact same time as when I was seeing the light. And it was terrifying. And the water in the streets was up to my knees. And we were walking home, and we were all terrified. Like, one, we were out past 10.30 at night, so we're like, oh, are we breaking the rules? But, but we, were, we were out there forced because the storm just kept going, and, and we were walking in water up to your knees. And anytime you're in water up to your knees and lightning's flashing, that makes you super nervous too. And, and I just started singing the um, Onward Christian Soldiers. Yeah. And as I started singing... Then, then my companions started singing and then all of us started singing and all of that fear in an instant was replaced mm. with this, this courage. And, and we just, I mean, we, we marched all the way through the rain and, and just no longer were we afraid of anything and, and, and it turned into a very different experience That's when awesome. we got home. Just that, that power of music. I love that. And, and real quick, I guess the last one is just sometimes when we go knocking on doors and, and sometimes people didn't have chan- uh, you know, time to listen to a message or we didn't have a lot of time to sit down and give them a message, we would just ask if, if it was all right if we could just share a, a song with them. And that was something I really remember fondly in the mission of just singing a song with my companion there on the doorstep and, and leaving them kind of feeling good, just that, that power of music. And if nothing else, maybe helping them feel a little bit of what we, we felt. I appreciate both of those stories, man. Yeah. I'm, you know me, dude. I'm a big... There's a lot of symbolisms in music and harmony and being one um, melody, you know, versus being in tune, discord, out of tune with the spirit. You know, I mean, it's like there's there's so many musical terms in, in that. So thanks, 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 listeners, for letting us have a little detour. Having it's, a moment. That's something that I particularly love and care about in my world too so all right let's keep going all right psalms 103 let's start there and then uh just maybe pick a few verses and then look at 104 and 103 i i like what stood out to me the lord is merciful and this is a psalm of david a merciful and gracious slow to anger and plenteous in mercy and and this is something i think the lord gets kind of a bad rap in the old testament of particularly being a god that's not very um patient He's, he's very quick to anger. And here David's saying he's very slow to anger. And, and sometimes some of these messages get, get jammed up or, or don't quite seem to jive. Like when Lehi in the Book of Mormon 
is praying with all of his heart on behalf of his people. Here he cares so much about the city of Jerusalem, the city that he loves, the city that did not fall when Babylon attacked, Mm. that God saved, right? And he's worried about their future and their fate. And he's praying with all of his heart that that city will be saved again when Assyria comes knocking on the door. And God, it says he carries him away into a vision and he sees God sitting upon his throne, surrounded with numerous concourses of angels. And he sees one descending from there and 12 others following him. And he gives them a book and he bades that he should read. And he reads, woe, woe unto Jerusalem. And he reads about the destruction and being carried away captive into the Babylon by the sword. And you're like, wow, so much for answering that prayer, right? And Lehi's response is, how merciful thou art. Mm. And you're like, wait a second, merciful? You were praying that these people would be saved. God says he's going to smite them with the sword and you're praising his love and his mercy and his tenderness. And, and you like, how does that equate to, and, and we look at the Old Testament, how does that equate to a merciful, loving, tender God? And I think the message is a little bit hidden. You have to dive a little bit deeper into it. Even with David here, I think you see that with the atonement and the hope that he has. Lehi certainly in the Book of Mormon, it says, he also saw the coming of the Messiah and the redemption of the world. Without the message of the atonement, God in the Old Testament seems very harsh, very lacking on patience. But when you comprehend the atonement and you see that with Adam and Eve from the very beginning and the covering that's made with the coats of skin. And you see that with Moses being sent to redeem them out of the land. And all of these times that God is showing this loving kindness and this mercy and this patience with Israel, and you start to understand the atonement and the coming of the Messiah and the redemption of the world, all of a sudden your perspective shifts or changes a little bit. And that harsh God in the Old Testament it seems to melt away and you see the true nature of God and you see him for who he is and and how David sees him in Psalms 103. It's amazing. Um, Let's look at Psalms 104. Uh, There's one verse here that really kind of stands out to me, verse two, and it's talking about the Lord. He says, who covers thyself with light as a garment, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. And the... This reminds me of our discussion that we had, Nate, early in the year when we were talking about Genesis and Adam and Eve when they were found naked in the garden because the idea was that maybe they were initially clothed with light, at mm-hmm. least in, in some of the, the, the Jewish traditions. Mm-hmm. And when they partook of the fruit, they lost that covering of light and it was replaced with a covering of, of skin. And, and where that gets a little interesting is the Hebrew word for light is or spelt with an olive, olive uh, vav resh. And, and the Hebrew word for skin is or spelt with an ayin vav resh. So the words are homonyms. They're very similar. So it might even be a play on words. And here you have God who's clothed in light. He's covered in light. It's just kind of an interesting image. And, and you see how Christ, when he uh, reveals himself, to various prophets, through various different dispensations, it's always described as this brilliant light. He's yes. clothed in light. Yes. So I, I, I looked at that verse and it kind of stood out to me for that reason. Let's look at... I'm going to skip to 106. Okay. And... 
in 106, what I appreciate about this psalm is the ability to take a step back and, and look at history and Israel and, and describing it from maybe the 1,000-foot view or, or, or the mile-high view looking down and giving it perspective to where Israel we can relate to. So let me just read the, a few of these verses and you can see what I mean. Okay. So looking at verse four, and if you bear with me, I'm going to actually read quite a bit here on this one, but I, I won't hit a lot of these Psalms afterwards. We're just going to see what it says. Verse four, remember me, O Lord, with thy favor, thou that bearest unto thy people, O visit me with thy salvation, that they may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. So here you have in the Psalm, remember me personally. It's, it's, it's a very personal level and an individual level, right? But, but it's going to change real quick because then it says, verse six, we have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy miracles, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake, that he might make his that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. And he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated him and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies, and there was not one of them left. And they believed, then believed they his words, they sang his praise. They soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. They envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron, the saint of the Lord. The earth opened up and swallowed Dathan and covered the company of Abram. And the fire was kindled up in their company. The flame burned up the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and they worshiped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. They forgot God, their Savior, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasure land, the pleasant land, they believed not his word, but murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. Therefore he lifted up his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also to, um, among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifices of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with the inventions and the plague break in upon them. Then stood up Phineas. Remember Phineas? Phineas Nasklaviak? No, Phineas the priest that lanced the people that were fornicating. I love that guy. Yeah. Lanced them midst fornication. Yeah, then stood up Phineas and executed judgment, and so the plague was stayed. And that was counted unto him for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the waters of strife, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes, because they provoked his spirits when they spake unadvisedly with lips. Um, they did not destroy the nations concerning whom God had commanded them, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works, and they served their idols, and they were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and their daughters, 
whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and they went a-whoring with their own inventions. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people, insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen. And they that hated them ruled over them. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they had brought them into subjection under their hands. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel, and they were brought low for their iniquity. I'm, I'm sorry, that's a lot of reading, but I, I love how the psalmist here starts off talking about their own personal standing with God and then says, okay, let me just transition this. We've been a wicked people from the beginning, not just me. Look at the history of Israel. We, we tempted God in Egypt and, and he delivered us with Moses. And then we were upset about the food and, and God you know, saved us here. And then we, we made this golden calf and then God was, you know, saved us again. And, and then there was the whole incident that Phineas had to come in and put a stop to. And then God saved us again. And like we rebelled constantly and then we would repent and God would save us. And then we would fall in again. And then here comes Babylon and destroys us. And then God saves us. And, and you're starting to wonder like, at what point does God give up on his people? And like, I'm not, this, this relationship isn't worth it for me anymore. You know, it's, it, it, it gets kind of this, as you're going through, and maybe, that's why I read the whole thing, just seeing over and over and over again. But this is how he finishes it. Nevertheless, he regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also to be pitied of all those that carried them captive. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the nations to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel from the everlasting to everlasting and let all the people say, amen, praise ye the Lord. And, and the point is, he doesn't give up. I mean, to, to his credit, what David was saying earlier, you know, you talk about this God who seems to have no patience in the Old Testament and you're like, wait a second, are we reading the, are we reading the same Old Testament? How many times did Israel try his patience? And now take that story of Israel and apply it on a personal level. Because I feel like we probably get pretty frustrated with ourselves. And some things that we're trying to work on and we say, you know, we're going to, to repent. We're going to change. We're going to sacrifice this and give it up and serve God. And then we find ourselves a couple months down the road or years down the road and, and notice that we're repeating the same errors and the same mistakes and we haven't made progress. And we think, you know, am I really worth God's effort? Do I really matter? But that's the point. Look at Israel. That, that, that was the, the beloved of God, his wife, his bride, the one that he cared so deeply about was also the one that kept turning away from him. And in the end, when Israel turns back and cries to the Lord, the Lord still has patience to gather her in and take her in. And I think this Psalm, I think it talks to a lot of people on a lot of different levels and, and those struggling with addiction, you know, and you worry, is God going to lose patience with me or do I have to give up on myself? Or have I gone so far? Have I asked for forgiveness too many times to where I, I'm not entitled to ask for it anymore? That's the point of Psalms and not just that, or excuse me, the point of the story of Israel, but not just that, but look at David himself. A man who had 
committed fornication and tried to hide it with the murder of another innocent man, yet still had reason to believe in hope in the Savior and, and find a reason to hope and believe that the atonement also reached out to him. And, and however that looks at the end, at the very least, the atonement raises him from the grave and, and brings him back to life. I don't think there's a man out there, man, woman, child, anyone out there who, who's outside of the reach of, of the atonement or has any reason to give up and believe that God has, has completely forsaken them and won't hear their cries if they turn to him. Beautiful stuff. All right, going to... Uh, where should I go next? When do we get to the hidden one? When do we get to the uh, unpublished psalm? Let's go, let's go acrostic, and then we'll, we'll get to the hidden soon. Okay. So in um, Psalms 119, if you guys have this in your scriptures, at some point it would be great for you to open it so that you see what I'm talking about. The whole Hebrew alphabet is written in Psalms 119. Whoa. Yeah. So you look at these weird little characters, Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalit, Hey, that's the Hebrew alphabet. And the reason why they're in Psalms 119 is because Psalms 119 is an acrostic poem. So verses one through eight in Psalms 119 all start with the letter Aleph. And then nine through 16 all start with the letter Beit. And you've got... Boy, I, I should have grabbed a list. I think there's about six acrostic psalms in, in all throughout the book of Psalms. And, and this one, this is the, the most comprehensive because it's not just an acrostic, but it's an acrostic eight times over because it has eight verses with each letter of the alphabet. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And, and so that takes us up to, there's 22 consonants. That takes us up to the 100... What is it? 176 verses in Psalms 119. So it's, it's kind of cool. And I think the significance of an acrostic poem, an acrostic means, did I explain this well enough? Maybe. Maybe, 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 maybe not. Maybe just send it to us. Is this, is this what you were talking about a couple weeks ago? Yeah, like the, the first line is going to start yes. with A, the second line with B, the next one is okay. C, and you just go all the way through it. And when you call the Lord Alpha and Omega, you're saying that he is the beginning and the end. You're not just saying that he is the beginning and the end. You're saying that he's comprehensive. He's throughout all of it. He is all-encompassing. You look at the creation of the earth. So there's something else that I find beautiful is that not is it only poetic in the text, in the writing, but historically it's beautiful. And what I mean by, if you're calling Christ Alpha and Omega, he was present in the beginning because he, he walked with Adam in the cool of the day. He created man. He was, part, he was the one that created the heavens and the earth. So he was definitely there in the beginning, but he's also going to be there at the end because he is the one that comes back dressed in red, the one that comes in the second coming is what we're waiting for, the wrap up, the final. So he is Alpha and omega, but that doesn't mean that he's only at the beginning and the end, but in the meridian of times, Christ comes to the earth and, and receives in the body. Mm. And, and the whole purpose and, and why you go through every letter of the alphabet isn't just because he's the beginning and the end, but he is present throughout all of his creation 
It's not like he just wound up a clock and then let it go and we, we just do our own thing. He is still here for us. He still wants that relationship. And so you see that historically and in the text. So it's kind of a, a beautiful symbol. And that's going to take us one step closer to missing Psalms. If you go to Psalm 145, this is also another acrostic psalm. The difference between Psalms 145 and 119, obviously 145 does not have eight verses for each letter of the alphabet. But if you look at Psalm 145, it only has 21 verses. And I told you that there's 22 letters in the or consonants in the Hebrew alphabet. So what happened? Psalms 145 is missing the noon verse. So it starts with Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey, goes all the way through. And we get to N, which should be between verse 13 and 14. It's missing. It's gone. It's not there. What happened to the missing new oh, verse? Oh, no. <laughs> it's, it's a good question. Um, so in the, the Septuagint, it's not missing. It has it. And, and again, in the Greek version where, it's, it, where it has it, some people looked at that and said, well, that's, that's the Greeks kind of taking a missing text and trying to make it whole. Mm. So that's a Greek edition. So we, we're not going to buy it because in the Hebrew Bible that we have, the Aleppo, the Leningrad Codex, they don't have the noon verse. So a lot of churches and, and Christians, canonical and even Jews, looked at that and said, we, we don't respect what was in the Greek. We're going to go without it. So it's, it's missing in most, in most versions of, of the Bible. Okay. But when they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's going to be a Hebrew text that predates what we had with the, the Septuagint that we had. Not that it was written before the Septuagint was, but the oldest copy of the Septuagint we had, the Dead Sea Scrolls predated that. The noon verse was also supplied in the Septuagint. Also, we have another medieval transcript that, that's a Hebrew version of Psalms 145. It's not the incomplete Bible, but it's older than the Aleppo and the Leningrad Codex. It also has the noon verse supplied. And the, the medieval manuscript, the Septuagint, and the Dead Sea Scrolls all have the same verse. So that agreeance from three different sources, three different independent the sources. didn't make it up. Yeah, seems to, make, seems to make a very good case that that was part of the original Bible that went missing later on. So do you want me to, to, to read this verse so you have that in your... Hit it. It's, it's not like... It's not earth shattering. It's not earth shattering, but, but it's kind of cool. So if you, if you want to have it in there... Um, turning to it right now. The Lord is faithful in his words and holy in all his works. And so that's the, that's the missing nude verse. Okay. There, there you go. And, and some arguments against it say that's way too similar to verse 17. They, they probably just made it up or something because 17 says the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. Um, but no, I, I, th- I think we have enough agreements in the ancient uh, older texts that suggest that this was actually originally part of the Bible and just went missing somewhere along the way. Arguments against it is verse 14, the Lord supports all that are falling and sets up all that are broken down. They, they look at that and the word for fallen 
is starts with the noon, Nifal. And so they're looking at it and saying, oh, this is a fallen verse. And the Lord supports the, the fact that it's missing, that the, the missing verse is symbolic of the ones that are missing from the fold, the ones that are fallen, and the Lord will support them and resupply them. Mm-hmm. So it's okay that it's missing. But if you look at it from that sense, I think it's even cooler that that verse went missing and then the Lord supports and resupplies it, restores it back into the text by finding older copies that support the fact that it was in there. It is now resupplied into the text. Mm. That's, that's kind of cool too. Very cool. All right, let's keep going. Okay. Do you want, do you, do you want your Psalm 151? I'm ready. I think we're all ready for it. Okay. So Psalm 151 is an, an, another very, very similar deal. Psalm that, that didn't show up in the, the Hebrew Bible, but there are ancient sources for it, including the Septuagint and the Dead Sea Scrolls. And the Septuagint has it, and I can read you the Septuagint, but the Dead Sea Scrolls actually has it in even more detail. Mm. And the Dead Sea Scrolls, they have a 151A and a 151B. So they, they, they have kind of a longer little tell. What it is, is David, when he goes and slays Goliath, wrote the psalm down. So this is a story of David and Goliath. Oh, sweet. And, and I thought I had, just a second, just a second. Dude, when are we talking about Daniel and the lion's den? Mm, that's a good question. I want to get to that. Can, we just, can we just talk about that now? And <laughs> what are we going to talk about when we get all to right, Daniel all right. and the lion's den? I'm excited about that story. Because it's going to take us back into Babylonian captivity. When we, right. we come out of here, we're going to go into Isaiah, which is going to be before Babylonian. So the whole timeline's all going to be a little bit weird. All right, all right, all right. What's, what do we got? Okay, Psalms 151. I was smaller than my brothers mm-hmm. and the youngest of all my father's sons. So he made me shepherd of his flock and ruler over his little goats. Yeah. My, my hands fashioned a reed pipe. That's right. And my fingers a lyre. And so I gave glory to the Lord. I said in my mind, the mountains cannot testify to him, nor can the hills proclaim. Lift up my words, you trees, and my compositions, you sheep. For who can announce and who can declare and who can recount my deeds? The Lord of everything has seen. The Lord, the God of everything has heard, and he has paid attention. He sent his prophet to anoint me, Samuel to raise me up. My brothers went out to meet him, handsome of figure, handsome in appearance. Although they were tall of stature and handsome because of their hair, the Lord God did not choose them. But he sent and fetched me from behind the flock and anointed me with the holy oil. And he made me prince of his people and ruler over the son of his covenants. And then B, at the beginning of the power for David, after God's prophet had anointed him, then I saw the Philistine throwing the taunts from the ranks of the enemy. I, and then it kind of cuts off and we don't have the rest of it. So we're gonna have to lean on the, the Septuagint. So switching over to the, the Greek version, the Septuagint. Uh, my brothers were handsome and tall, but the Lord was not pleased with them. I went out to meet the Philistine and they cursed me by his, and he cursed me by his idols. But I drew his own sword. I beheaded him, and I took away disgrace from the people of Israel. It's mm. fun. So cool, cool little uh, story about David. And it, it's, I don't know. I like the feel of it. You have this guy who's alone with the sheep that nobody notices, nobody cares, 
And he's, he's probably wondering, like, when am I going to get my shot in life? Nobody, nobody's going to give me my chance. He's, nobody notices what I'm doing. Nobody sees me with the sheep, but the Lord sees. And maybe something we can take away from that is what do we do in our time when we think nobody's watching or nobody's paying attention? And, and how do we fill that time and how do we fill that, that opportunity? Do we, do we render glory to God? Do we write compositions to him? Like David literally writing songs to glorify to glory God and using that time to ponder and reflect on God and to become his beloved. And even though he thinks nobody's noticing or nobody pays attention, all of a sudden God sends his prophet and, and he gets an opportunity even greater than he ever even imagined for himself. That's awesome. Sweet. Love it. Yeah. Do you have, do you have anything you want to add here on the Psalms? Man, I got to tell you, I'm, I, I enjoy the Psalms. I enjoy the, uh, I enjoy the, layout of them i enjoy the delivery there's just a lot of them and i have just started to uh i mean as we've been going through the old testament this year I've, i'm kind of into the uh the meat and potato stuff man i just i kind of like the <clears throat> i like the heavy stuff <laughs> hey if we do we, how, how much how are we on time do we have time for one more psalm as long as it's awesome there's 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 one awesome psalm left. I, well, there's lots of awesome psalms left, but there's there's maybe one psalm that talks about kids. Okay, yeah, bring it in. Okay, real quick, Psalms one twenty seven. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, and they build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman take um, walketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat bread or sorrows, for he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. Oh yeah, I like this one. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the child, excuse me, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. I love this one. I've heard this one before. Yeah, it's a, it's a fairly well-known psalm. That's why I've heard of it before. <laughs> <laughs> it's... It, it's kind of cool that, you know, I think especially in today's age, children don't get their due uh, props. Yeah. I, I feel like maybe as a people, we get more and more selfish. And, and children are kind of a cure for selfishness because the children are so dang selfish in and of themselves. <laughs> Solid. <laughs> but, Solid point. But they're not selfish in the sense that they necessarily want to be. They're selfish in the sense that they can't take care of themselves yes. and they're very needy. And, and now all of a sudden it pulls you out of your own being to where you have to provide for somebody else and you're, you're not looking at yourself anymore. And, and so children have a way of, of pulling us outside of ourselves and helping us to become more like God in the sense that we have to care for somebody else. And, and I feel like a lot of people in today... Are, are, are not willing to take that commitment anymore. They look at what it takes to raise a child and the stress and the pressures and the financial pressures and, and they look at it and say, no thanks, not for me. And, and there's other people out there that desperately want children but can't have children. The, but there is something about having children and, and I love that Psalms is celebrating that, rejoicing in that and, and praising that nature and saying that it, it, there's something special about that, something powerful about that. Very cool. I'm glad we, I'm glad we read that one. Yeah, and, and when we say heritage of the Lord, 
this is like, what does it mean to be a heritage of the Lord? And a, a heritage is almost like an inheritance or something, a, a gift or something that you're given special. And I look at the ability to procreate, the ability to have children as a divine as it gets in the sense that God created life and he's given us that ability to create life as well. It's a sacred responsibility and it's a gift that he's blessed us with. And there's probably a lot more we could say about that, but that's where I'm going to leave that. Fantastic. That's okay with you. What are we talking about next week? Next week, we're going to be coupling Proverbs with Ecclesiastes and just knocking both of them out at the same time. Killer. Can't wait. I love Proverbs. Oh, yeah. I'm totally into Proverbs. It, <laughs> it was... When I was a kid, that was probably one of my favorite books to read in all the Old Testament. I, I, I loved how candid he was about, about being lazy, Bertha's being productive. I, I don't know. It's just straight up wisdom. Can't wait. All right. Until next week. See ya. See ya.